Well, thank you, friends. It is a delight to be with you here today on World Mission Sunday. World Mission is the cause about which I am the most passionate. It is the cause to which I have dedicated my life, and it is a pleasure to get to share with you about that this morning. I work a couple of days a week as an A&E doctor in a hospital in southeast London, in Woolwich, in the emergency room there. I say this to you as a warning note. So if any of you find yourself in the Woolwich area and start to feel a little bit sick, just try and make it to Lewisham. And there's no chance you'll have me as your doctor. This work which I do there a couple of days a week, this is my tent-making profession. So I can do what I'm really passionate about, that is gospel work, free of charge. 500K, we are a mission organisation and a charity which reaches unreached villages in India for the gospel. And we do this by sending indigenous, local Indian people as local missionaries to share the gospel there. And our passion is to give people and churches here in the UK the opportunity to reach the unreached without leaving our homes, without saying goodbye to our families, without quitting our jobs. By partnering with and sending, that looks like praying and giving for these local people, we can reach unreached villages for the gospel without saying goodbye to what we're doing here in the UK. Our passion is that there is no treasure that compares to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. There are all kinds of blessings in this world, all kinds of good things. Education, wealth, status, who you know, what you've accomplished, but really all of these things are insignificant. They're irrelevant compared to one detail. Are you one of the lucky people in this world who has had the opportunity of knowing Jesus? Everything else is essentially irrelevant compared to that one opportunity, that one privilege. Have you had the chance to know Christ and receive eternal life in him? Why do we believe this? Why are we so passionate about this? Well, let's find out. The context in Mark 5 is one of crisis. Jesus has just had Jairus come up to him and tell him, Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Would you help her? Jesus is walking with Jairus, but he gets interrupted. Starting reading from verse 24, it says, So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed around and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. This woman 
was a person whom Jesus interacted with 2,000 years ago. But even more than that, I believe this woman is a symbol for every person on this planet. This person, this woman, she was afflicted with problems too big for her to solve. Bleeding that could not be healed. Daily pain, shame and stigmatization shut out from the temple, being told that she was unclean and contaminated. Her life was one of pain and suffering. But so is the life of every person on this world. People knowing such fears, such sorrows, such anxieties. We like to think these problems are disappearing, but they're not. Research has shown Generation Z, that's people going to university, graduating from university now, have higher levels of anxiety and depression than ever before. The leading cause of death for people in the USA now, under the age of 40, is addiction to opioids, to drugs. People are in pain, people are hurting, people are doing whatever they can to solve those problems. They're not finding the solution. I've had patients say to me, request not to be discharged from hospital because they say, when I leave here, I'm gonna be all alone. Yet this woman, she sees Jesus. She knows that Jesus is her hope. She reaches out and touches him. She finds salvation. That is my testimony. I know that it is a testimony of every person here who has encountered the Lord, whether it was immediate for this woman or whether it has been gradually over months and years, all of us have encountered Jesus. We have reached out, taken hold of him, and he has met us in our pain. He has ministered to us in our pain. Let's read on. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Again, our reactions when we encounter the God of this universe are the same as this woman. It's a reaction of fear, a reaction of Am I going to be judged? Am I going to be condemned? This woman falls on her face, trembling with fear. This is our natural reaction when we think of God, when we encounter with God. We are terrified. All of us, like this woman, feel and know that we are not good enough. People spend their whole lives trying to overcome this problem. 
endlessly trying to progress in their careers, endlessly trying to store up more wealth, endlessly trying to please people, everything to overcome this sense of, I'm not good enough, I'm inadequate. Yet this woman, in the presence of Jesus Christ, in the presence of the Lord Almighty, trembling with fear, we see the reaction of our God. Jesus does not respond with anger or judgment, but Jesus reaches out with love and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. That is the power of faith. Though we are not good enough, though we are inadequate, through Jesus, we are saved by faith. And we know and encounter the love of God. But the story doesn't end there. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. So what we might say, Jesus can meet us today and minister to us in our pain. But what of the ultimate problem? What of the ultimate enemy? What of death itself? What of bereavement? What of the pain I have from people I've lost? What of the fear I have from when I will have to face death myself? This is something too great, even for Jesus. Or so the friends of Jairus thought. Jairus, you're too late. What terrible Hopeless words. Jairus, you tried. You wanted to save your daughter, but I'm sorry. It's too late. She's gone. Even Jesus can't help her now. But into that crisis, into that emergency, Jesus looks at Jairus and he says, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Thanks to Jesus, we need no longer no fear. Then Jesus takes his three closest disciples. He takes Jairus with him. He goes into that room. He goes to that little girl and he says, why are you laughing, weeping? The little girl is not dead, but asleep. And then he raises her to life again. That was true for that man and that family. That is true now for every family that trusts in the Lord. Even death itself has been relegated to mere sleep, a mere temporary separation. This is the power of the gospel. This is the great treasure of the Lord Jesus Christ and this is why I believe seeing all of this world reached with his message must be one of our first priorities. 
Jesus' last commandment to his disciples was go unto all nations and share this message. Make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So glorious is this opportunity of following Jesus. We need to make Jesus' last command one of our first priorities. That's something I've tried to do with my life. And I'd like to share with you just a bit of the story of that. When I was growing up, one of my overwhelming experiences, or perhaps the overwhelming experience growing up, was one of boredom. School was boring. Being at home was boring. But every night, me, my brother, my sisters, we would come together and my parents would read to us missionary stories. Stories of men and women who risked everything, left everything behind. Hudson Taylor, he traveled for five months to go to the other side of the world. They were adventure stories that really happened. Hudson Taylor, he's in China. He faces unimaginable difficulties, persecution, opposition. He's beaten up. He faces personal tragedy. I remember hearing his story and thinking, wow, this is someone who has found something worth dying for. And I remember reading his diary, excerpts from his diary, the encounters he had with the Lord, the joy and the peace that he knew. I realized this wasn't someone who had just found something worth dying for. He had discovered the secret of really living as well. Purposeful, passionate, meaningful lives. Growing up, I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to be a missionary. All life so far has been boring, but here are lives of purpose, meaning, and adventure that really happened. I want to follow in these footsteps. I enrolled in a medical school for that reason. It was what Hudson Taylor did. He said it would be helpful for him on the mission fields. I thought the same. Before going to university, I took a year out to get some mission experience. And I find myself traveling in India and encountering these stories of what Indian people are doing. And they sounded just like the stories I had read to me growing up people leaving everything behind, risking their lives for Jesus, seeing great breakthroughs for the gospel. And I saw this and and thought, wow. I thought people like this didn't exist anymore. I thought they were locked away in the storybooks 100 years ago. Here I am, meeting them, interacting with them. And I had a moment when I was worshipping with a tiny little church meeting in someone's home. And I just thought... Here I am, worshipping with this church. I've got nothing in common with these people. Different language, different culture, different clothes. Superficially, everything is different. But as soon as I hear these people worshipping, I know we're a part of the same family. And I thought, you know what? Until five years ago, the gospel had simply never reached this community. But now there is a church here. Now my family is here. And I just thought, what I am witnessing here, what I am seeing, this is history in the making. And I had, this was a real transformation moment for me. I had a sense of, I don't think you guys need me coming to you as a missionary. You're already doing it. 
How can I be a part of what is happening here? And they said, well, one of the ways that you can help is through giving. Our own churches are poor. We're struggling to look after our own pastors, the poor in our own communities. Let alone send out other people as missionaries. And I heard this and I thought, what? You mean the coolest thing I've ever heard isn't happening for money? That's crazy. It's also kind of encouraging because that's something I can really easily help with. Getting my friends interested in Jesus, that can be hard going. But I can make money. I just have to turn up at work. I don't even have to be particularly good if I'm just there. Money comes in. This is when people say, hmm, yeah, Ed, I don't know if I'd want to have you as my doctor. <laughs> and I said to them, look, how much do these guys need? They said, Ed, in your terms, we're talking about 60 pounds a month. I thought, wow, that's crazy. I could be one missionary myself, or I could be a doctor in the UK. I could still try and live simply, live basically as if I was on the front line myself and give the difference, earn a good salary, give the difference. Rather than being one missionary, I could support maybe even 20, 30, 40 of these indigenous missionaries instead. That was really the beginning. I was giving, I shared about what I was doing with some friends who were students, they wanted to give as well. Things began to, to build up speed. That's a whole other story, but four years later, we launched 500K. And we said, what would it take? We believe that Jesus is this great treasure. What would it take for everyone in India to have this opportunity to meet with him? What would it take? The research we had available to us at the time said that of the 600,000 villages in India, as many as half a million, 500,000, have got no church, no Christian presence, no gospel witness. So we said, well, that is the need for everyone in India to have a chance to hear about Jesus. You would need to have 500,000 churches, a church in every village, a gospel witness in every community. We launched the organization. We said, that is the vision everyone having a chance to hear this message of Jesus, a church in every village, a gospel witness in every community, 500,000 churches. Unfortunately, there's a, a sensitive political situation in India now, so we just put as the name of the organization, 500K. So offline, we can explain what we're about. Publicly, it's not obvious. 500K. We launched, this is our 10th anniversary year, we launched 10 years ago. Back then we were supporting 30 of these indigenous missionaries. Now by the grace of God, we're supporting over 1,000. These people have reached 3,500 villages. We're hoping this year, or potentially next year, we're gonna break through the 5,000 village barrier. It's gonna be the first 1% of the 500,000 villages need. What we are doing now is just scraping the surface of what is the potential. God is raising up his church. More and more people are starting Bible colleges, training people to send out to reach these villages. We're just seeing the beginnings. I'd like to share with you the story of a woman I met two years ago, 2022, when I was in India. 
We were traveling, uh, traveling towards a, a jungle to visit some work amongst the tribes there, and we stopped off at one of these little church plants. And this woman starts sharing with me her story. And I thought it was remarkable because it reminded me somewhat of that woman we heard about earlier in the passage, the woman with the issue of bleeding. This woman told me how for seven years she was so weak she couldn't get out of bed. So every day her children were coming and washing her in the bed or putting her in the bedpan, sometimes picking her up out of the bed, putting her in the chair, putting her back in the bed. That was her life for seven years. And she's not an elderly woman, she's in her 50s now. An evangelist, this has nothing to do with 500k, an evangelist, he goes through the village. He's looking for people to pray for and to minister to. Someone tells him about this woman. He goes and meets her, shares about Jesus with her, prays with her, and this continues over a process of six months. He's ministering to this woman. And she told me how over those six months, to begin with, she started just being able to sit on the edge of the bed, then to walk around with a stick. By the end of those six months, she told me she had been completely healed. Radiant smile on her face, her health fully returned to her. That was when I met her. But there had been, this is the interesting thing, there had been a 10-year gap between when that happened and when I met this woman. The evangelist, he's an itinerant evangelist, it's in his nature to move on to the next place, he leaves. This woman is then all by herself in this village as a believer. And I'm speaking to the missionary who was sent to that community and I was asking him, how did you, how did you pick a village to go minister to? And he said, well, my leader said to me, I want you to go somewhere in this district, somewhere in these clusters of villages, but I want you to look to the Lord to direct you. Where do you want to minister? So he's walking from village to village and he's just praying as he goes. And he told me there was a particular village where he feels a sense of peace. He goes to that village, and uh, I wouldn't recommend what he does. He buys a microphone and a little PA system. He starts preaching the gospel on the street. There is a lot of persecution. There's a lot of resistance to the gospel in India these days. So I wouldn't recommend this, but there he is. He's preaching the gospel on the street. Who walks past? It's this very same woman who had been healed 10 years earlier. She said to him, are you preaching the gospel? He said, I am. She shares her story with him and she said, for 10 years I've been praying that God would lead someone to this village to continue what that evangelist begun 10 years ago. And now you're here, an answer to prayer. She opens up her networks to him, her friends, her families. He begins sharing the gospel with them. That was the beginning of the church in her community. began this message reflecting on the fact that there is no treasure that compares to knowing Jesus. And that consequently, one of our great priorities must be reaching the unreached. This is the challenge that I want to leave with you. Both globally, around the world, and locally, right here in London, 
How are you making this gospel message a priority, a focus? How are you leaning in? How are you praying? How are you saying, God, use me. I know the power of your message. I know the glory of your gospel, but I am a weak and broken person. Would you use me? Would you help me to see that which truly matters? So many of our brothers and sisters around the world are risking their very lives for the gospel. I could tell you so many stories of people who have been threatened and beaten up for sharing about Jesus in India. This is the price other people are paying. What can we be doing? What is the step of obedience that God is leading us towards? When I'm in the hospital, and I'm only there a couple of days a week, sometimes people say to me, Ed, you're only here a couple of days a week. What are you doing the rest of your time? And I say, oh, well, um, you know, I'm doing some charity work. And they go, oh, wow, charity work, that's really awesome. Tell us more. And I say, okay, well, it's about community development and transformation in India. And they're like, oh, wow, that's fantastic. Tell us a bit more. And you know, the questions keep on coming. And in the end, I say, well, basically, we're helping Indian people share the gospel with other Indian people. And they say, wait, you're trying to convert people. Why don't you do something useful? And this is when I say to them, well, as doctors, we think we have this amazing opportunity to save lives. But I don't know why we say this. All of our patients still die. We like to call ourselves lifesavers. Really, we're death postponers. But Jesus Christ and his message really can save lives forever and ever and ever and bring life in all of its fullness in the here and the now. I have never had a patient receive treatment in my hospital and say to me, you know what, doctor? Thanks to your treatment today, I have received life in all of its fullness. Maybe one day they will. Somehow I doubt it. But I've had friends come to know Jesus. And they've said, Ed, it's like my whole, my whole life has been filled with color. Before, everything was black and white. Now it is vibrant. That is the power of the gospel. And would we make sharing it one of our priorities. If uh, you'd like to know more about 500K, I've got a, a sign-up sheet here. This one's in my pocket. You don't need to use this one, but there's another one at the back of the church, along with some booklets about 500K as well. What I would love to do is invite you, if you feel the Lord is leading you, to participate in this. We have the opportunity to reach unreached villages with the gospel. We have the opportunity to make history. Would we seize that? What a legacy we can have just through praying and through giving. So I want to invite you to do both of those. You can pray and you can do that just by putting your name and email address down. We have a, a WhatsApp group where we frequently share stories 
like the stories I've shared today of how God is breaking through in these communities. And I think it's so important for us to be hearing these stories, encouraging stories of how God is transforming lives. And you can also give. Just think about that. 60 pounds a month, that's all it requires to send someone to an unreached village for the gospel. Maybe even that is beyond your means. Two people can club together, 30 pounds a month each. It can be done. So I want to invite you to participate in that, if that is where the Lord is leading you. You can pray and you can give. Well, I want to thank you so much for inviting me to be with you today on World Mission Sunday. Thank you for what you are doing as a church, both locally and globally. And please pray for us. I'll be praying for you until I see you again.